Well, tonight as we continue our Simply the Savior series, we're actually already on our 12th installment, our fifth here in the Beatitudes, and the fourth of those Beatitudes. As we continue, remember that these things are really added one to another. And if you try and pull one out, they're still good, but they really are meant to be taken together. And so as we continue on, and now we're in verse 6 here in Matthew 5, it's best to take it back to the beginning, for it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Father, we thank you for these promises. Lord, that instill in us the heart that you have towards us. Lord, if we seek you with the whole heart. Lord, if we bring our lives to you and under your authority, God, that you will bless us. Lord, as we allow you to do that work in us that is so necessary for our growth, God, that you will fill us. You will change us. You will transform us. And so tonight, we offer up this time to you Lord, we pray that you would just speak into our lives the breath of life. Lord, that we would grow and be encouraged and be strengthened in our innermost being, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. We bless you. We praise you. And God's people all said, Amen. Well, tonight I want to talk to you about supersizing your Jesus. This incredible verse added to all the rest. You see, we live in a fast food society, amen? We really do. And, and when, you, when you go to a restaurant, isn't it crazy, especially a fast food restaurant, and you look up at the menu, there's kind of the value menu, you know, that's got like the individual items on there, and it's like one cheeseburger and one small fry and a small drink. And then have you ever noticed how that's really tiny and over in the corner, and then in the middle, it always has these humongous, gigantic, six-foot-thick hamburgers with four-and-a-half pounds of fries? McDonald's actually made a verb out of the, out of the phrase, supersize it. It's like, okay, we supersize that. That's really the picture that we get here in this beatitude. We live in a day and time when big is absolutely huge. I, I, I don't know if anybody's ever seen these things. You walk into AMPM or 7-Eleven, they have 64-ounce drinks. That's a half gallon. You go to the grocery store and you get a half gallon of milk. It's one of those. It's like, who drinks that? But let me tell you, there's something you should drink in by the gallon, by the tank full by the boat, by the ocean full. And that's the righteousness of the Lord. We do want to supersize. We want to ask 
for the absolutely largest portion that we possibly can of the Lord Jesus. We, we need all of Him we can possibly take in. It, you see, part of the problem with the world is we supersize sin. We supersize our carnality. We supersize our flesh. We supersize everything in the world, but somehow we as the body of Christ think that we can get by on like this value menu portion of Jesus. Well, I'll take, can I have a small one, please? Can I have a tiny, little, itty bit of Jesus? You see, when I go into a fast food, I'm one of those people, I do instantaneous math when I'm in ordering food. And here's how it generally goes in my head. I look at the price of the, of the Big Mac by itself. And then I look at a large fry by itself. And then I look at a large drink by itself. And that totals up to like $19.95. <laughs> and so in my mind... I look at the small things and go, well, those are too small. So it makes sense. You talk yourself into it, don't you? It's like, okay, give me the, the double, 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 double. My son eats like two four-by-fours. He's like, you know, he weighs 160 pounds soaking wet. I go in there, I, I eat one burger, I gain 10 pounds. I don't know how it works. But when we look at these things, we almost automatically now order the larger size of everything. Amen? It's like, well, give me one of those. If you go to Del Taco, it's macho size, right? Everybody's got their name for it. Again, when we get to the things of the Lord, well, as long as he doesn't mess with my hobbies. As long as I can kind of keep my television programs if I could just you know give me enough Jesus so I can get into heaven okay I'm hitting home huh you, you see we do that we don't order up the large size of Jesus we order up the smallest size of Jesus we can actually get by with and still make it home to heaven and I'm not saying everybody in here, but I'm saying it is a trap of the enemy. And very often we do it so that we can hang on to things we should not hang on to. A little story that I would share with you. Some years ago in Los Angeles Times, there was a story that was entitled Terror, Terror on the Side of a Steep Slope. This guy named Jay Raffman was hunting deer here in the... Tehama Wildlife Refuge near Red Bluff, Northern California. And he climbed on top of a ledge and he was scouting out there for his deer. He had his binoculars. He turned around to look the opposite direction away from this bluff that he was on, tripped and fell backwards off of a rather short cliff. Wasn't too terribly tall. But in the process of doing so, the story goes on to say that his boots and his legs got tangled up in a bunch of scrub oak that was on the side of that cliff. He is now hanging upside down off the side of a cliff, head down by himself, and what does he come face to face with but a rattlesnake. His hands are tied up in the bush. 
His gun is around the backside on a sling. He can't get to that. And this snake is mad. And so it begins to strike at him. And he's trying to dodge it without having any way to defend himself. And as the story goes, what ultimately happened is the snake struck at him, not once, not twice, but eight individual times, hitting him directly square in the face three times, but not able to bite him. And so this very mad rattlesnake finally lodges its fangs in his turtleneck that he's got on to keep warm. And so now you have a live rattlesnake, fangs bared, stuck in the collar of his turtleneck, and he's got no way to move it because if he moves his arms, he's going to get bit in the hand. And so he decides he's going to try and get his gun from around behind his back because it doesn't have any vessels in it. And so he moves it around and he tries to pry the snake off with his gun. And in prying the snake off with his gun, the snake falls off the cliff. Now he's still hanging upside down with rattlesnake venom dripping down his face. By the time it's all said and done, out of pure anger, he climbs down the cliff face, he gets himself unstuck, goes down, kills the snake, cuts off the rattles, and walks back to the nearest ranger station. When he gets back to the ranger station, the ranger looked at him with rather stunned look, because he looked pale as a ghost, and he's holding the rattles of the rattlesnake in his hand. And he said, I'd like to make a complaint about the wildlife in this area. (laughs) Sometimes we do that, don't we? We put ourselves into positions in life to where we're kind of in danger already, and then we fall off the cliff, and we're kind of messing with the very things that can trap us, and then we complain about the wildlife. That is why we need a supersized Jesus. That's why we need more of him and less of us. Because it's in that time when when you're fighting off those beasts in your own life, those difficulties in your own life, even yourself at times, Jesus gives us a secret. He says, look, you need to hunger and thirst after my righteousness. Me is what he's really saying. You need to so desire me. You need to have that kind of hunger that I fill you with so much of me that you're prepared for whatever the world throws at you. And so he begins to say, look, add to being poor in spirit, acknowledging our complete and utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. Add to that mourning over our sin, yes, the things that we struggle with. Add to that being meek and humble towards other people, taking that spiritual poverty uh, into every aspect of our life, he finally says, look, hunger, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because it's easy to hunger and thirst after the supersize of the world. It's really easy to do that. And so it boils down to this. You see, if you want real change in your life, if you want God to do a new work in your life, you have to get very sick and tired of the old you. That is probably the key to victory in defeating those snakes that you have in your life. You have to get really tired of what you already have. You have to hate the anger. You've got to really despise the bitterness. You have to go after the the cold-heartedness, the absolute 
bitterness that can ravage our hearts, that unforgiveness, the contentiousness. We have to get so tired of those things that we are really starving for something else. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever gone through a survival training or been out you know, messing around someplace and doing those types of things, but I have. I've been on many of them been out to where you wander out for a few days and you take everything as boy scouts we used to take anything remember we used to actually have band-aid cans for those of you that are old that are in here we used to actually have band-aid cans they were about you know yay big and about this tall and the rule of thumb was you could take with you everything you could stick inside of that can you can't get a cheeseburger in there But you can get fishing line, and you can get a couple of beef bullion cubes in there. You can get a pocket knife, a few matches. But you know what? After you've been out for a day or so, snakes start looking really good. Anything that can be protein starts looking really good. And what looks not so good is what you have, which is nothing. We need to be like that in our search for the Lord. And he says hunger and thirst. And he's not talking about just a little bit of hunger. He's talking about the biggest slice of Jesus you can get. It's like a claim jumper size. You know what I'm talking. The claim jumper desserts, they're like enough for 75 real people. You know, they're like a foot and a half high and they bring it out. Look, here's your dessert, Mr. Gill. I'm like, I can't eat that. My family could nibble on that for a week. We could actually save a couple of nations from hunger, from that. That kind of portion of the Lord is what we want in our lives. I want that kind of a desire. And and you look at it, man, that sure looks good. That's what we want in our lives for the Lord. The problem is, is we have competing hungers, don't we? You can say yes. Because we do. We have competing hungers in our lives. You see, sometimes we're not actually hungry for the things of the Lord. We're hungering and thirsting after the world. We're hungering and thirsting after things that we really shouldn't have ever. And we're hungering and thirsting sometimes after the past, the things we've been delivered from, aren't we? Dwelling on those things, maybe in your mind or in your heart, that you've already been delivered from. Until we get really hungry for those things. Well, I have every right to be bitter. I have every right to be angry. I mean, look at how those people treated me. And they begin to affect your way of thinking. And they begin to affect the things that you're hungry for. And so what Jesus is saying, you need to be starving for me. You need to be looking for nothing but me. Have you ever had one of those nights when you just like, you have to have a pizza? Anybody ever go through that? Where you just have to have a pizza? I don't know what, it's probably just me. And when I'm talking about, I'm not talking about Domino's. I'm talking about a real pizza. I'm talking, you know, the ones that are this thick and they're, you know, one slice is 7,000 calories or something. And it's just like, that's what you want. And no matter what else someone offers you, Nothing but that one. We have a place in Redlands called Romano's, and it makes a a Chicago deep dish pizza. And no joke, each slice is like a pound and a half. And when you want one of those, that's what you want. And then you call up, hey, can we get, no, you can't, oh, no. 
You could come in tomorrow. No, that won't work. I can't come in tomorrow. I have to come in now. Because I really want that. Maybe some favorite thing that you really, when you want it, you want it. You know, maybe it's a big slice of primer. Maybe it's some pie. I don't know. But those days when you just go, oh, I just got to have that. I want that. The Lord is saying, make me the object of that hunger, of that thirst. I can tell you something that happens when you've been out in the desert for a long time. When I was younger, I was in my late teens, early 20s, I was on the San Diego Mountain Rescue Team. And very frequently, being in San, San Diego County, a lot of San Diego County, much like San Bernardino County, is desert. And, and craziest things ever when people get lost in the desert. They start breaking apart every cactus they can find. They suck on rocks. They do all kinds of stuff to quench that thirst. They'll dig holes in every seemingly wet place. We found a guy one time that had been gone for three days, and he had dug a hole with his bare hands over six feet deep in a creek bottom. Bloody fingers, the whole... He was just digging away, and he, he would go and dig for a while, then he'd go sit in the shade of this little bush that was near the bottom of this creek. And we finally found he was almost dead. But he was so thirsty, even at the cost of his own fingertips and fingernails and his skin and everything else, he was not going to miss putting forth the effort necessary to find water. Are you thirsty for Jesus like that? Does your life depend on more Jesus. So when he says hungering and thirsting after righteousness, he's saying, look, there can't be anything that you want in your life more than me. Because if you want real change, you have to really want him. Sometimes we have things that get in the way, the pain of problems in our life, maybe even death, poverty. Lots of things get in there. But really, the truly blessed person is looking for more of him and less of us. It's a continual thing that goes on in our lives. And he's not referring to an occasional desire. You know, it's one thing to get kind of hungry or have, uh, you know, a little bit of a sweet tooth or something. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about genuinely, I can't live without I want so badly the things of the Lord that I want all of it that I can get. The original language here, it's actually speaking of wanting the whole loaf or the whole bucket of water. More than you would ever need. More than you could actually consume in one setting. You see, it's a picture of how we should want the work of God in our lives. I want more than I need of the Lord in my life. Because here's what happens. As you go out into the world, and if you only have what you need for that moment, if you have that little Jesus, when the test comes, you're going to run out. You're going to get to the end of what you've taken in. Because in a very, very wonderful way, we are what we eat spiritually. Amen? What you take in is what you have available to give out. And if you haven't taken in, if, if you've not 
fed yourself, if you've not quenched the thirst of this world with the Lord, then when that that is in you gets tested, you're going to be starved to death very quickly. You're going to run out of spiritual resources. You're going to run out of the ability to quench the world's difficulties in your life. And the righteousness that the Lord's talking about here, it's, it's to be right with God. It's not just to be right with your friends or your neighbors. It's to really be right with God. And we should want that. We should hunger for it. We should thirst after it. Jesus gave a, a one-sentence parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, 46. It says this, and Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, the value of the relationship with, that we are supposed to have with the Lord is so valuable that we are starving for it. We are thirsting to death for it. We want it so much that whatever it costs, we'll pay it. Whatever we have to give up, we'll give up. What, whatever we want to turn in is worth it. We have all these, these trade-in things. Isn't it crazy when you go to trade in a car? Somehow the car that you bought for $35,000 is worth 8 bucks a week later. Isn't that nuts how that works? We call it depreciation. Well, you drove it off the lot, so now it's worth $30,000 less. Jesus never depreciates in your life. What you put in, you will always get more out than what you took in. You'll always have more than you need. If you continually take in, if you continually hunger, continually thirst after his righteousness. You see, sometimes we just kind of run out of hunger. Eh, I'm not really hungry today. We do that when we look at the world through the world's eyes. Eh, I'm not really hungry for the Lord because I'm watching this. You know, we have those new flat screen sewer pipes that come into our house. And again, I'm not bagging on all TV. We watch some TV every once in a while. But there's a lot of stuff on there that believers really shouldn't watch. Amen? And all of a sudden, you're taking that stuff in, and your, your lips start to stick together. You know, your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking. You're getting real thirsty because the world does that. It sucks the life right out of you. And Jesus says, look, you need to have a craving for me. You see, we're not supposed to be like the world, engrossed in those things, hungering after those things. Because if you take those things in, there's an old adage that whatever dog you feed, that's the one that wins the fight. Amen? So we have the capacity to feed whichever one we want, the old man or the new man. Paul put it this way, put off the old man and put on the new man. You've got to feed the right part of you. You've got to feed the right part of you the right things. And we do that by filling ourselves with his righteousness. You see, we're not righteous in and of ourselves. We don't have any capacity actually to be righteous apart from him. Personal righteousness, Paul said, was as filthy rags. It's not, it's not going to work. And so he's saying, look, get a hunger for me and then go searching for me to fill that hunger. Get a thirst for me, and then go searching for me for that, 
that thirst. Let me fill that need in your life is another way to look at it. You see, it's one thing to achieve something by your own merit. It's another thing to be so hungry and thirsty and realize there's nothing you can do about it. One of the great things about being on a search and rescue team is when you actually find people and they're still alive, is seeing the reaction on their face when they know they're going to survive, especially when they've been in the desert and you hand them that drink of water. You would think they were drinking liquid gold. It's like they they put it in their mouth and it's just like their eyes roll back in their heads and they have gone off to heaven. Because now that thirst, which was going to kill them, is being quenched. And all of a sudden, they're just like, Oh, thank you. I thought it was going to die. I've been out here for three days. I couldn't go any, I don't even. I can't even walk. And they just drink and drink and drink. And they drink so much that they drink themselves usually sick. You normally have to stop them so they don't actually get sick. We want to have that kind of desire. I can't wait to take some more of that in. So thirsty. So hungry. To ask you some simple questions. Scale of 1 to 10. How hungry, how thirsty are you for spiritual things? For Christ in your life. You see, as Jesus is saying these things, remember he said to mourn after your sin, right? Blessed is he who mourns, for he shall inherit the kingdom of God. You you see, what's my attitude towards my personal righteousness? What do I hunger for in life? To what extent do I hunger for God's word? I believe that's why most of you are here tonight. That's a wonderful thing. But if you look around the room, you realize what a small percentage of the body of Christ this church represents. Do you see why Jesus would say something like this? Because there should be a lot of other people that are hungering for the things of the Lord. What's my attitude towards worship? My attitude towards the deeper spiritual truths. Not just the the light, fluffy stuff that are easy, amen? It, it's certain parts of our walk with the Lord are actually fairly simple. You know, who doesn't like to be loved on? Amen? I mean, in a general sense. God loves me. Yes. I don't have any struggle with that. But at times being patient, persevering under trial, being kind to people who mistreat you. I think we all struggle with some of those things, don't we? Are you hungering for those things as well? See, sometimes we only hunger after what I call spiritual junk food. It's, it's all good stuff, but it's actually spiritual junk food. It's like a, you've known that since you got saved. And we have a lot of Christians running around. They're still, they're still singing the same songs in their heart and in their mind that they learned in Sunday school. They haven't progressed. They're not truly hungering after the deep things of, of Christ. Matter of fact, they're actually kind of going, eh, you know, I'm good with this where I'm at right now. That perfect righteousness that we're supposed to have sometimes is work, isn't it? 
you're a senior saint, you've been in, you've been in the kingdom for a while, you know that what I'm saying is true. There are times when being a Christian is tough. It's hard. It's not easy. You're going to get a little taste when you come into the kingdom, and then the real tough stuff starts. You actually get confronted with the way you really are, and I really am. Sometimes you get to look in the spiritual mirror, don't we? Like, wow, I still have that going on? I'm still thinking those thoughts? I'm still struggling with that sin behavior? Could it be that maybe we're not hungry enough for the things of God? Could it be that we're not thirsty enough and we try and fill ourselves instead? Because one of the secrets to this is you can't take care of the need yourself. It's an impossibility. It's a hunger and it's a thirst that you yourself cannot fulfill. You have to go looking in the right place for the right thing. Looking to Him. And of course, it's about His grace. He's going to give it to you if you go looking for it. The picture here is being so satisfied. It's like when Connie and I were in Austria, one of the crazy things about the Austrian people, the German people as well, is they are meticulous at even taking care of the side of the road. It's like you're driving, this looks better than my lawn, and it's somebody's farm field. As you're driving, there, there's, a, there's a valley in Austria, the Intertaler Valley, and, it, and as, you, as you drive down this valley, it heads towards the, the end of a canyon. At the end of the canyon is a national park. But as you're driving through, it's the exact idyllic thing you think of the Alps. There's like these little Bavarian cottages, and there's fenced pasture land, and there's the fattest cows you've ever seen in your life. They're like huge. These are like mega cows. Matter of fact, you could make them into some type of, you know, super being beast thing. But as you're driving down this road, you look at these cows, it's like they could not eat anymore if they tried. Matter of fact, I think the reason they like the steep ground is they can kind of lean against the hillside to the one side while they're still eating. But the picture here is so satisfied that you're in this field and you can just kind of munch at leisure on the goodness of the Lord because there's so much of it and you're already full that you just want to keep taking it in until you explode with Jesus. Until you've taken in so much of Him, so much of His righteousness, that all you can do is give it back. I want to have that kind of relationship with my Lord. I want to have so much of him when somebody asks, I've got some. Here, take mine. I I have drunk in so much of Christ. Here, let me pour you a glass of Jesus. I've got plenty. I am completely satisfied in him. When God does these things in our lives, he also increases our capacity to hold more. It's a crazy thing about our spiritual life. God will not give you more until you use what you already have. Did you hear what I said? He's not going to give you more until you use what you already have. He's like that. He will fill you, but it basically goes to waste unless you use it. And so if you want the secret to taking in more, use what you have.
And then you can take in more. And then he'll fill you again. And you can give out more. And the process just keeps going until you get home to heaven. You see that hungering and thirsting is, is in the Greek language, it's in the durative present tense. And what it means is that as you continue hungering and as you continue thirsting, it increases in the very fact that you're satisfied. In other words, you've taken so much in that you always want more of what you've already taken in. That's the crazy thing about our walks with the Lord. As you grow in Christ, you can't get enough of Jesus. Amen? It's crazy. When you talk to people that are, that are just in love with the Lord and walking with the Lord, it's all they ever talk about. For some people, they're kind of nauseating to be around. It's like they're all oh, talking about the Lord again. Well, it's what matters to me. You can always tell what really matters to people, generally speaking, by the way that they communicate what's going on in their lives. I'm sure that all of you have a few of those people in your life. You see them coming, and you're looking for a way to get away. Amen? It's okay. You can say yes. You do. You, you're, you see them coming because you know what they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about their injuries or their illness or their sickness or their problems. And they love the Lord, and they tell you they love the Lord, but there's very little victory in their life, and you see them coming, and they, like, suck the nutrition out of you. And so you look at that, and you go, oh, you know, here comes so-and-so again. I need to go, i I got to go over here, because I'm going to have to let that work in my life as they speak to me, because they don't have anything to give. All they can do is take. You want to be the person that when someone sees you coming, you're known as the person who has a bucket of Jesus. That has massive amounts of faith. An unbelievable reliance on the Lord and His wonderful things in your life. So that God, through you, can reach other people with His goodness. You don't want to get stagnant. You don't want to get stale. You want to be in God's meadow. You want to be in that wonderful place where you're just taking it in all day, every day. Paul said it this way as he was writing the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. It begins in verse 12. A familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you. Not that I've already attained or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. You see, it, it shows, shows us this wonderful principle. Look, I, I haven't arrived. As long as you're on this earth, you won't have arrived. You can always have some more Jesus. You can take another helping. You haven't reached that spiritual perfection yet. And so that attitude is really the opposite of the attitude that we see in spiritually prideful people. People like the Pharisees. They're probably the classic example of that in Scripture. 
They thought they were the top of the crop. And yet they were empty. Jesus said, you're deaf and you're dumb and you're blind. He said, you actually search the scriptures because you think that in them, you're going to find life. And that life is found in me. Jesus pointed to himself and says, look, it's in me. We want more Jesus. There's perhaps no greater secret to progress than just simply having a healthy appetite for the Lord himself, for spiritual things. And so when we think on those things, we have to kind of ask ourselves some additional questions. How much do I crave the Lord? How much do I desire to be satisfied in my thirst? How serious am, how serious am I about having a real relationship with the Lord? You know, when, you, when you're you know, late teens, early 20s, you're getting ready, maybe you're going to go off to college. There's kind of that in-between time where you can still kind of be a young person and you're kind of, sort of, almost an adult. You're an adult as far as the state's concerned. You're 18 years old. But you haven't got a clue how life works. There are those who desire to be real adults and those who desire to simply play adult. And the ones who want to play adult go off into all kinds of wild tangents, doing crazy things, and then they at some point in time actually have to really mature. And then you have the young people who actually are really maturing and they think adult things and take adult actions and begin to live their lives like an adult and they are actually really adults. Well, they look the same. But they have very different results in the way they conduct themselves in life. And the same is true for Christianity. You have people who, yeah, they've been around the church for a long time. But they're not very mature. Because they really don't want to grow up. They kind of like the college lifestyle, so to speak. They like the, the frat parties or the sorority parties. They, they like to kind of live that carefree lifestyle. And what the Lord says to us tonight is, look, you have to want so much of me that you actually grow, that you actually mature, that you have the right heart. And I can tell you this, that's an intimate one because the Lord's going to do some work in our lives when we give ourselves to him in that way. It's a very intimate relationship. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I want you to think on a couple of things. If I asked you to complete this sentence, I would be happy if, filling in the blank, for me is living and to die is blank. If you were to ask yourself that question, what is it that if you had it, it would make you happy. And if you were to say your life was made of it, what thing would it be? And if you were to, de- to die, if tonight were your last night on this earth, what would that look like? What would that mean? Would it be for me to die uh, is to make sure that my entire family knew Jesus before I left? Or would it be, you know, I kind of want to buy a house. Nothing wrong with buying a house. Everybody needs to live somewhere. But are you focused in on on the spiritual things? You see, the root of a righteous heart is desiring the right things at the right time.
really seeking after the things of the Lord. And so we're supposed to have a burning desire for the things of God. We're supposed to have a longing that can't be filled with anything other than that. We're supposed to want other people to do likewise. We are supposed to want to be members of this church uh, that, that seek the will of the Lord together, not just our own little world that we live in. So you can ask yourself those questions. I'm going to have the pastors and prayer team come up in a minute. There's going to be people available to pray. And, and here's what I'd ask you to simply ask yourself. Is there something that you're hungering for that's keeping you from having the right hunger for the Lord? If so, you need to pray that the Lord would remove that from your life. And if you've done that, then what you really want to pray for is to be completely filled with him and nothing else, that nothing else would satisfy you in this world. Because if you're satisfied in him, everything else will take its place. That's the way it works. When you're walking with the Lord and you're talking with the Lord and you're satisfied in the Lord, then, as Paul said, I have, le- I have, I have learned how to be content in all things. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to just be wiped clean. And I've learned how, how to abound, be on the other end of the spectrum. And no matter where I'm in, whatever shape I find myself in, I'm content. That's because you're filled with the right things. And that you're emptied of the wrong things. Those are qualities that you can't buy. They're qualities that come from these beatitudes carried out in us. And I want to leave you with a little story. It's an old man that stumbled on a, a shack, a windowless, roofless shack. If you've traveled to ghost towns here in California, we have a few of them. There's one... Uh, a big one at Bodie, if you've ever been there. It's a pretty neat place. Old mining town was abandoned, really for the last time in the 1930s. But if you've ever seen them, there's those old hand-pumped water wells. And if you know anything about them, uh, they can dry up. They can still have tons of water underneath them. This old man came upon this shack and he looked and there in the desert sun was a water well. And he dragged himself over to the pump. He grabbed the handle, began to pump it up and down. Nothing came out. Disappointed, he staggered back to the shack. He glanced around, looked at it. And then all of a sudden he noticed off to the side was a jug of water. And it had a note on it. Please read carefully. He wiped the dirt off the jug, and written on the bottle was a simple note. You have to prime the pump with all of the water in this jug. So the man was forced to make a decision. He took the jug, looked at it, thought to himself, wow, there's enough water here. I can cure my thirst right now by simply taking a drink. Or, I can trust the source of water is still good, and I'll pour this jug down the neck of the pump and prime it. And he thought, and he thought, and he thought, 
Do I want a cool drink right now, one drink, and maybe I'm going to die? Or do I want to take what I have, what little resource that's available to me right now, do I want to take that little bit of water that's in this jug, and do I want to trust and pour it and see what happens? As he poured that water down the neck of the well, those old leather seals came to life and swelled up and at first he pumped it and he got a little discouraged because nothing was happening and then the gurgling started and then all of a sudden there was a little bit of a drip that came out and then a trickle and then by the time he got done it was gushing forth full stream out of the entire diameter of the pump head and at the bottom of the note was a simple request if you pour the water down the well, don't forget to fill the jug for somebody else. Family of God, that's us. Because we have the original water. It's given to you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You have enough to prime the pump of the Spirit's work in your life so that you'll thirst and you'll want that thirst quenched. The answer is to take what you have and pour it into the infinite source and then begin to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then once you're that filled, you can fill up another vessel and you can hand it to somebody else. Say, look, God did this in my life. Here it is. Don't forget to prime the pump. Don't forget to fill up a jug and give it to somebody else. Don't forget to share that truth with somebody else. You see, we want to supersize a Jesus. We need to make sure that we're doing things his way. As we begin to worship, we're going to worship for 10, 15 minutes. Have some prayer warriors up front. Maybe you've kind of been lagging behind. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to say, God, it's yours. I'm going to pray. The glorious thing about the Lord's work in our life is every day is a new day, amen? Get a fresh start every single day. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman whose God is the Lord. Blessed are we when we cast our cares upon him, for he cares for us. Worry not about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Those wonderful promises, look, the, the jug's always full when you allow Jesus to do it. Amen. So let's worship the Lord. If you need prayer, come on up, be prayed for. We're going to go for another 10, 15 minutes, and then you don't need to wait. If you need to go, you're free to go. If you want to sit around and worship, sit around and worship. If you want to encourage each other, you want to break up into prayer groups, break up and pray with somebody. Maybe there's something you want to share with somebody personally sitting near you. Do that. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall be satisfied. Amen? Amen.